0: Hello there, my name is Danny Yeoman, wild bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. Welcome to the next of a number of podcasts detailing some of the amazing birds that we see and feed in our gardens. Each month we'll be looking at a different bird, and this month I thought it was about time I covered my absolute favourite bird in the whole wide world, the wonderful long-tailed tit. Encountering a flock of long-tailed tits on a frosty winter day is always a delight. Few other birds so immediately provoke a smile, for few other birds are quite so, well, adorable is the word that comes most readily to mind. When you discover that the long-tailed tit is the only small bird that spends Christmas with its family, then their status in the pantheon of cuteness is confirmed. With long-tailed tits, it's not just their adhering appearance, it's also their social habits. Youngsters from a previous brood will often help their parents raise the next one, in what scientists call cooperative breeding. And you simply never see a lone long-tailed tit. One is always followed by another, then another, until a host of them are flitting around you, seemingly fearless of this great lumbering birdwatcher in their midst. When I was growing up, I didn't see long-tailed tits anything like as often as I do nowadays. This isn't because I was any less observant. This species really has bucked the trend of songbird declines, having almost doubled in numbers since the 1980s. Partly that is down to a run of mainly mild winters. Like other small birds such as goldcrests, long-tailed tits are especially vulnerable to long spells of cold weather which makes it harder for them to find food and keep up their energy levels. But it's also because they have changed their habits. They are seen in gardens far more often than they used to be, and have learned, in the past decade or so, to come to bird feeders. I often see them in the hedgerow that runs alongside our garden, but until very recently, they never came to the food that we provided for the birds. Then... Just before Christmas, me and my wife put out some Peter and Paul coconut shells, and since then we have regularly seen these little sprites only a few inches from our kitchen window, enabling me and my wife to enjoy stunning views of this amazing bird. The poet John Clare loved them too, calling them bum barrels after their barrel-shaped nests, as in these lines from his sonnet Emensel's Heath in Winter, and coy bum barrels twenty in a drove, flit down the hedgerow in the frozen plain, and hang on a little twig and start again. Few words capture the sheer joy of encountering a flock of long-tailed tits quite so well. On a grey winter's day, a surprise visitation from a small flock of dainty long-tailed tits instantly brings a garden to life. Heralded by a high-pitched fanfare of squeaky calls, they suddenly breeze in and the bare branches of the trees come alive with this tiny little bird trailing their extraordinary long tails like ribbons behind them. They somersault among the finest twigs, flit from bough to bough, all intent of finding any insect or spider living in the bark or among clumps of moss and lichen, or swarm over hanging bird feeders, with Peter and Paul bird food in it, of course. No longer have they arrived, than they are moving on to the next refuelling stop. Although each long-tailed tit appears to be mapping out its own route through the branches, there's a strong camaraderie between members of the flock. If one becomes detached from the party, it gets agitated and anxiously calls out to its companions, while the rest stop and look for it until they're reunited. Togetherness is the key to long-tailed tit's survival, especially during colder weather. Members of the flock depend on being able to cuddle up to one another to keep warm enough to endure the freezing winter's night. Most of the time, long-tailed tits live in small family flocks, comprised of the parents and their offspring from the previous breeding season. For the winter, several family flocks temporarily unite to form groups of 300 birds or more. In early spring, these flocks disband and unmated females join neighbouring groups. At breeding time, long-tailed tits take family loyalty and cooperation to exceptional lengths. If a pair fail to raise its first brood, they'll have missed out on that early season glut of insects, essential to feed them. Often, the two birds split up and the female usually returns to her family flock. Apparently, she can distinguish her clan members from others by their call. Then she helps rear the young in other nests belonging to her brothers. Although this is unbelievably cute, such behaviour is not as altruistic as it sounds. Having failed to breed themselves, by assisting relatives to raise their larger families, helper aunts and uncles are ensuring that their family genes are passed on to the next generation. Chicks reared by extended families get more to eat, are heavier on fledging and survive better. And importantly, the helpful brothers and sisters book their potential life-saving places in a flock for the winter. The long-tailed tit has a very different appearance to other tits. That's because it's not really a member of the tit family at all, but a member of that Aegiphalidae family of birds. And it's actually more closely related to the babblers of India and South East Asia than it is to blue tits and great tits that we associate it with. The long-tailed tit is an attractive, small, fluffy, pinkish bird with an exceptionally long tail in relation to its tiny, ping-pong, ball-shaped body. And these birds are truly tiny, at 9 grams, they weigh less than a £1 coin. Its plumage, at initial glance, can look black and white, but at close range has pinkish wash to the underparts and pinkish buff or to the back. It has a tiny stubby black bill and almost spherical bodies, and with their oversized tail in flight, these proportions give the bird the resemblance of lollipops undulating through the air. Males and females are hard to tell apart. Juveniles are shorter-tailed than the adults, with much less pink in their underparts. The dark on the face is more extensive, completely surrounding the eye. However, once they molt in the autumn they are indistinguishable from the adults. Long-tailed tits have a twittering, trilling song, but it's their high-pitched, twittering contact calls that will usually get them noticed. Typically a CCC, but also a Syrup. Watch out for the males performing display fights during the early spring. You'll see birds flying up vertically with butterfly-like fluttering flights, then diving down again. The constant calls of the long-tailed tits are to help the flock stay together, if one bird gets separated from the rest of the flock, the others will double back to rescue it. This means that if you can imitate their calls, pishing, going psh psh psh, psh, psh you can attract a flock to within a few feet of you, although I'd only recommend pishing in your own garden. This also explains why bird ringers sometimes find that a mist net full of long-tailed tits often contain birds which had entered from both directions. This apparent care for the well-being of other members of the flock is almost certainly related to the fact that many flocks are in fact family parties of closely related individuals. Long-tailed tits begin breeding earlier in the year than any other tit and construction of the elaborate dome nest may begin in late february in southern england the nests are often placed high up in the fork of a tree or lower down in thorny scrub like hawthorn the nest is made from moss and woven together with spider web and hair camouflaged on the outside with lichen and lined with an average of 1500 feathers Nests built early in the breeding season can take up to 3 weeks to complete, those built at the end of the breeding season can be completed within a week. One of the most interesting things about long-tailed tits society is the phenomenon of helpers at the nest, where extra adults in addition to the parents will help feed and raise the brood. This kind of cooperative breeding is known in various bird species around the world but is always quite unusual. Once the brood has fledged, the young birds and the helpers will stay in the flock for the rest of the year, often joining up with their nearby relatives. You should watch out during this time, for long lines of juvenile long-tailed tits huddled together on branches, practising their roosting behaviour. Long-tailed tits in the wild feed mostly on insects, larvae and spiders, but also berries. In winter they have a strong preference for deciduous woodland, particularly oak, ash and sometimes sycamore. Hawthorn and blackthorn are their favourite shrub species. But in recent years, long-tailed tits have copied the hanging feeding habits of the blue and great tits, and now visit feeders frequently, especially during cold weather, and because of this, more people are seeing them in their garden, usually joining in with the other tits and even nuthatches. Long-tailed tits love peanuts, but especially birdseed mixes which include peanut granules, such as Peter and Paul Vivicolour, Peter and Paul Clean Plate and Peter and Paul Four Seasons. But if you'd really like to see long-tailed tits in your garden, the very very best thing you can feed would be Peter and Paul suet. Suet is traditionally thought of as a winter only food for garden birds but actually suet should be thought of as a year round food and not just a supplement winter feeding. You should be feeding suet throughout the entire year and particularly during key periods since it makes a particular valid contribution to the breeding, molting, and pre and post migratory diets of wild birds and is even suitable for chicks and fledglings. Suet bird food has to be worth the peck. Birds lead busy lives, and the amount of time it takes a bird to land on a feeder and peck, it has to be a bite that's worth the effort. Although you can buy suet products from many places these days, not all suet products are what they're made out to be. Whenever bird food is manufactured and bought into shops, you expect it to be only the best of ingredients, and exactly what you would expect suet products to be is usually two ingredients, i.e. seeds or some other kind of additional food, covered in a good dose of suet. However, some cheap suet products are not what you would call great. Some suet products can, and indeed do, have up to 20% filler in them, which can be anything from sand, chalk dust and even glue. Now I don't like the idea of people being ripped off by some unscrupulous manufacturer. The more important to me is the fact that all that poor quality bird food is being fed to all those garden birds, and that is simply something that just won't do. That's why I wanted to ensure at Peter and Paul, we only supply the very best quality suet products. A product that is both safe and as nutritious as it could possibly be. Now suet is the most nutritious of all ingredients, so it stands to reason the more suet a product has, the better it is. Peter and Paul suet products contain as much as three times the suet level of other top brands, and it's this high suet content that provides your garden birds with all the energy they need. That said, the more concentrated and higher quality the suet is, the better it is for birds. The industry standard for fat used in syrup production is something called Category 3 tallow, which is classified as a blend of animal fat byproducts, and as such could include beef, lamb, pig or anything. Peter and Paul syrup products only contain 100% human grade edible beef dripping which not only means that these products do not change composition from batch to batch to batch, but it also happens to be a denser form of suet and therefore has the highest payback in calories per gram. To put it simply, the more suet and the better quality that suet is, the more birds you'll get in your garden. It also goes without saying that Peter and Paul suet products do not contain any chemical hardeners. Some of our competition put ingredients like PVA glue into their suet products. This is to disguise the fact there just isn't that much suet in their product. It's cheaper and binds the other dry ingredients together. But worryingly, the RSPB and British Trust for Ornithology don't know what the long-term effect PVA glue will have on a wild bird population. But sadly, it's not just suet where unscrupulous suppliers cut corners but also in the other dry ingredients that make up the rest of the composition of a suet product. One dry ingredient that's been increasingly used in suet production is calcium carbonate, chalk. It is simply a very cheap filler. It costs less than £100 per metric tonne and is added in large quantities to suet to bulk them out. In these quantities it has no nutritional benefit to birds and the companies that use it might as well be using builders dust for all the good it does. An ingredient that is hard to get away from is wheat flour. In large quantities wheat flour could and should be considered a filler and that is again what a large percentage of air competition use it for. But wheat flour in smaller quantities is used as a tallow binding agent. It stops the syrup from being less soggy and allows it to mix better with the dry ingredients. Peter and Paul syrup products contain as little wheat flour as possible, as little as the machines that produce Peter and Paul syrup products will allow, and it has been augmented with peanut flour to enhance its nutritional value. Because of this, you will also find that Peter and Paul suet products are of a softer consistency than others, and this is due to the volume of suet and the quality of suet that we use. The rest of the composition of Peter and Paul suet products are made from high oil content seeds that increase the fat content. Seeds like millet, linseed and rapeseed, and insect protein in the form of dried mealworms. But Peter and Paul suet products also contain an exciting ingredient. Spirulina, which has proven to be a fantastic supplement, highly beneficial for our feathered friends. Spirulina is basically an edible blue-green microalgae that grows naturally in lakes. Spirulina constitutes about 72% protein, has an astonishing 0.5% beta-carotene, and is the richest source of vitamin B12 on the planet. This ocean of nutrients has a very interesting effect on birds. Spirulina makes their plumage glossier, it intensifies their natural colours, it improves their health by increasing their metabolic rate, protecting their kidneys, improving their digestive tract flora, and it's also been shown to have anti-cancer and antiviral properties. It also increases their fertility many folds. Studies have shown that when birds are fed spirulina-rich diets, they show a great improvement in their fertility. Up to 96%. Basically it's wonderful and I cannot find another company that includes it in their suet. It also goes without saying that Peter and Paul suet products are net free. So they won't harm wild birds by getting caught around their legs or damaging their tongues. Only the very best for long tailed tits. Now long tailed tits mostly visit hanging feeders but also take food from small bird tables. There is another way you can help long-tailed tits in your garden and that is to provide a nest box but not for nesting. In the winter long-tailed tits will use nest boxes to shelter from the elements and keep warm so leaving these up in your garden all year round will benefit them greatly. It's clear to anyone watching a flock of long-tailed tits that they are not strong flyers and in general they are very sedentary staying in the same area throughout the year there have only ever been three incidences of ring birds being found abroad, plus one of a ring bird abroad being found over here, and all of those involve movements between Belgium and the east coast of England. Despite this, they clearly can move when they need to, and there are records of very large scale eruptive movements of birds in central and northern Europe. This normally happens in years when a good breeding season has been followed by a hard winter, and a large proportion of the population choose to relocate elsewhere. As I mentioned earlier, generally milder winters in recent years are believed to have been behind a 15% increase in the breeding population over the last 20 years, but being a very small bird, long-tailed tits are very vulnerable to prolonged periods of harsh weather. Indeed, losses up to 80% of their numbers have been recorded by BTO volunteers during particularly cold winters. Small birds lose heat more rapidly than larger ones, owing to the fact that a larger proportion of their body is exposed to the elements. They have a larger surface area to volume ratio. In addition, small birds can ill afford to carry large food reserves that will slow them down when trying to escape a predator. To ensure their survival, long-tailed tits need reliable access to energy-rich food during the short winter days. This is where garden feeders full of Peter and Paul bird food can prove a lifeline. For more information regarding Peter and Paul wild bird foods, please check out the Peter and Paul website at wwwpeter and hyphen com, or pop into one of our wonderful pets corner stores and the nearest store to you can be found on the pets corner website at www.petscorner.co.uk well that's it from me i hope you've enjoyed it for further birds please continue to check out the stream and i look forward to speaking to you soon